Hello, and welcome to Cubicle Confidential, weekly advice for the working stiff. I'm Chris DeSantis, and let me introduce my co-host, starting with K's, the keen, the kooky, and the always knowledgeable Mary Abijay. <laughs> Hi, Chris DeSantis. Hi. Do you know what I have in store for you today? What's that? All right. So I'm Mary, everybody. And here are my K's I have in store to introduce my co-host to you, the kingly, the kind-hearted, and my kindred co-host, Mr. Chris DeSantis. Wow. I love kindred co-host. That I was know, right? brilliant. That was well, and you really are, good. But you're all these things and you're also kind-hearted and you are very kingly. You've got a very <laughs> royal demeanor. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. You're not as kooky as I... I just like the word kooky. I don't know. Kooky's a good word. Kooky's a good kooky, word. Kooky, ooky, spooky reminds me of the Adams Family lead in. <laughs> right? That's right. That's um, right. I know. I'm, I'm old school. I'm old enough to remember that show. I used to really like that show. Uh, anyway, so Chris DeSantis, mm -hmm. guess what we're going to talk about today? Um, well, I know the title of the episode, so I'm going to go with change. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Today's episode is Changes in the Air, and we are going to talk about leading and or navigating change mm. in the workplace. Mm. And I am super excited about this because we are, I think we're in a time of, of unprecedented change in organizations, both in terms of the magnitude and the rapidity, rapidity of how many changes people are going through. And I can't tell you how many clients are reaching out for like change workshops or presentations on change. And so I thought this might be really good when we saw these questions come in that we would do a whole show on change. So Chris, when we're thinking, and I know you do a lot of change work with your clients as well. Um, so let's talk about what it means in organizational life. So my first question to you is, what do you think some of the biggest mistakes that organizations or, quite frankly, uh, change leaders make when uh, implementing change? Well, it's a, it's a really big question because I think there's so many mistakes that you can make. So um, I was thinking, as, I, as you say that, I usually use the work of William Bridges from time to time because I like his methodology about thinking about it is he has a, a three steps. First, you have to end something. Then you have to transition to something and then you begin something. And I think what happens is we skip those other steps and we go right to beginning. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. we, we say, okay, we're going to stop doing this and then we're going to begin this. But I don't think people think that way. I think people still bring what they had before with them because they want to look good. And so my experiences with uh, some firms is they have these really grand implementation strategies without testing them on what people actually need to make the change. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a big firm, and I'm sure there are people here who have parts of big firms that are, and you have smaller offices or facilities or a store that can be a test bed uh, before you move into a new system approach, then you get to work out, well, what actually works here? I think what uh, works on paper doesn't always work in in execution. So I also can't emphasize enough telling people the why of what they're doing. Right. You know, the why. Why are we doing this? And I'll tell you another thing. We we are so in, we are so uh, focused on the change. We don't provide the skill transition. Yep. Now, wh what do I need to do differently? Because nobody wants to look bad at what they're doing. So their resistance is not just about the why; it's to, it's the how. 
and then give them advantage right. to doing so. Anyway, that's my two Those cents. Your big, I, yeah, so I think you're right. I think that organizations don't plan for the transition, which is really what Bridges is about. Yeah. Like understanding the transition phase. Uh, they don't give people the resources they need to actually implement, manage, or adapt to the new change. I mean, all these things. I actually have eight things I always tell my clients they're doing wrong. List? I have an eight list. Wow. Right? I might only be seven. Okay, one, uh, inadequate change leadership. So uh, organizations either choose the wrong people to lead the change. They don't choose enough of them or the person leading the change doesn't know what the hell they're doing with change. Um, number two is similar to what you said. We don't adequately sell the problem. Mm-mm. We sell the idea, the solution, yeah, the right. new thing, but we don't sell the why, which is the problem, which is Cotter would say the burning platform. Mm-hmm. Um, leadership not being directly involved with the project. That's number three. They just toss it to somebody and say, make this change and they uh, walk away. No champion. No champion, right? Uh, uh, number four is inconsistent messaging or poor communication. Mm. There is, I've never seen an organization that I've been called into where they actually had good messaging, consistent messaging, and enough messaging. Right. Or what happens is like the senior leaders say one thing, the middle manager say another, and the ground floor people say a third thing. Right. Um, not providing adequate resources, which you had on your list, shifting focus or priorities too soon. I mean, how many times have you seen that in an organization? Mm-hmm. We're piling on so many changes, right. nothing stays. Um, and this the, too shall pass. Yeah, this too shall pass, right? Ignoring organizational culture. How many mm. of your clients have tried to do some change and they didn't really pay attention to the culture, which eats, eats strategy for lunch, well, breakfast and dinner. That's why mergers don't go well. That's why mergers, that's why 80% of mergers fail to uh, attain their intended result. And then the big one, which is also what you said, my number eight, which is I think organizations constantly underestimate the impact on employees during times of change. Wow. Now that is a list, people. I hope somebody was taking notes out there because that <laughs> I'd, I'd summarize, but here's my summary would be there's eight things on the list. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like if you just pay attention to those eight things, no. you're going to do much better than than your average bear in terms of, of change. Well, I, also to your point, I thought you really made a really good point about leadership sees one thing, the people on the front lines experience another. Absolutely. And you know, when you think about it, well, we'll get to the, some of the questions like change is going to feel really different depending on where you are in the organization. Yeah. Hugely huge. different. Um, all right. So now that we've explained to everybody what you're doing wrong or what your, your change managers and leaders are doing <laughs> wrong, let's get to some questions so people can learn how to do things right. So if you are ready, we have our first question. I'm ready. From Flummoxed in Philadelphia. Dear Mary and Chris, I need your help. I just got promoted to a director level position in a mid-sized pharmaceutical company. Congratulations and condolences. Uh, while I am thrilled about the promotion, I have been tasked with, quote, changing the culture, end quote, of the department which I now lead. It has been made very clear to me that I need to, quote, clean up the mess, end quote, that my predecessor made. The culture of the department is very dysfunctional and uncollaborative. Some are calling it toxic. We have retention problems, productivity problems, and reputation problems. Wow. Where do I even start? Signed, again, flummoxed 
in Philadelphia. <laughs> Oof. Oof, this is a big one. There's a lot going on here. A lot going on. All right, so I'm going to toss it to you first. Okay, great, thanks. All right, I, I, think, this is a, <laughs> I think it's a difficult question just because there's so little information. Yeah. But my first instinct, my first instinct is address the business and the processes and through that, the culture. Mm. You see, and so what I would do first off is meet with your boss and pri prioritize first the the department performance issues. Go mm -hmm. with performance first, and then set up meetings with the people who've been there longer and who are familiar with those priorities. I think that helps a lot. Engage in some fact finding, and then join in some uh, some joint problem solving, staying focused on the immediate priorities, because the people there have some ideas, right? Uh, after then you sort of once you get all this you kind of start to carefully diagnose the situation and and then try your best effort again what are the people's concerns relative to these priorities and then be in, you know i would say be enthusiastic be genuine about what you can and cannot address in the order you can do it and i, I think that way you so obtain some level of buy-in because their voice is heard and the yeah. key here is their voice is important in this because they've had some clearly some very toxic experiences that precede you. And that tells me or implies at least nobody's listening to them. Yeah. Next up, I think you would launch into some credible plan, meaning this is my thoughts about how to fix this, getting some of their input along the way. And you want to work through this problem in a sort of uh, that is tangible and show evidence of succeeding, meaning that you you are in stewardship of this department, and there should and if they can see some evidence of movement forward that moves us away from the other environment, I think it'll build your credibility and trust. It'll also give uh, you a better sense of what they mean by culture, because yeah. I think people use this word culture in a broad sense, but they're really talking about the behaviors they've experienced uh, along the way. And the behaviors this crowd has experienced are, are sound to be quite negative. So anyway, yeah. that's my two cents. What do you think, Mary? I, I, well, I think you're I think you have a, a really smart uh, approach for that. I applaud it. I agree with it. I particularly liked uh, the fact that you really emphasize you got to work vertically, like mm -hmm. up and down, right. make sure you're getting clear um, commitment from the people above you and clear sense of expectations. Right. But you're also involving the people below you, the people who are on the ground working with creating whatever change it is. You know, and that's something that so many leaders forget, but people will support what they help to create. That's yes. the first thing they teach you, right? In right. organizational development school. Right. People will support what they help to create. So I think your I think your advice is is spot on. I went a little bit differently, like I went right to the culture. No, no, no. I, I think I, I, <laughs> I was think like, the, I, I was think like, screw the business process. I want to talk about the. I want to talk about the culture. Well, go ahead. What do you got? Because I, I sort of avoided that because I know that clearly, though, I'm going to learn about the culture through their venting. Yeah, they're going to no, vent. Yeah. So, well, anyway. you know, and th that is the thing, like, you know, there are m multiple ways to sort of address culture, you know, like culture, you can get to it through the business processes, like mm -hmm. shift those, you can shift the culture, or you can go right to the culture, uh, and then try to shift the business processes. So I think it's, I think both approaches will work. So, you know, when I was thinking about culture change, you know, the first thing that always comes to my mind is that culture change is really, really, really hard. Yeah, it's um, a behavioral based It's thing. a behavioral change, and it really takes a lot of time. You know, there are some organizational cultural theorists like Shine and those guys oh, who I say like that Shine. it can, I do too. Uh, he's an oldie but a goodie. Mm -hmm. um, 
that could take almost a whole generation of a workforce to change the culture. Like mm -hmm. if you're talking about a big, a big organization. So I think it takes time. So I think if I was going to go right at the culture, the first thing I'm going to do is really identify, you know, of course, the current culture, find out what's going on, but then identify the culture that you want to create mm -hmm. uh, and get really granular and very specific. And same as with your advice, I would actually really involve uh, the team, the people, the department, mm -hmm. everyone who works right here from a lot of voices. Mm -hmm. What is the kind of culture that we want? Uh, we really, I think, I think, you know, I hear leaders talking about their fear of losing culture. Well, what is your culture? Like, I think you have to define what you have and what you want. Um, then as to your point, after you have like, here's what the culture needs to look like, or here's what we want it to be like, then you have to really clearly define the behaviors that will uphold and promote mm -hmm. and create and embed that culture. Without getting granular about the behaviors, they're just words on a wall. You know, like how right. many times have you seen like values on a wall, which mean nothing. And then of course, once you can define the behaviors, uh, then you've got to get um, the leadership on board, not only the leadership above you, but the leadership in your department, you're the director level. So you have managers, like every one of your managers needs to be walking that talk. They need mm -hmm. to li be living and breathing those behaviors. You're also going to want to educate folks on what are the behaviors and cultural expectations. Like don't just put words on a wall, really do that. And I think one of the big things that you have to do, which this is why organizations don't actually change their culture, is you got to get rid of the people that don't demonstrate those behaviors. Oh, Right. Even if they're high performers, even if they like right. are high producers, if they are not respecting, living, embedding, breathing the new culture, uh, you got to get rid of them. Because... That was in the book. Remember the book, The No Asshole Rule? Yeah. But it's true. Like, you know, Jack Welch used to do that too. Now, of course, he's not considered so great anymore as right. he destroyed GE. But the point was like you, if you have someone who's a bad culture, who who is destroying your culture, like the right. brilliant jerk, you got to get rid of them. Right. Uh, and then again, of course, you know, performance reviews must be in alignment with the new culture. So what gets measured gets done. Uh, so you want to make sure you're getting that in. And always, 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 as you said, make sure you are in alignment with your leaders in HR. But if you want to change the culture, you got to also you got to change the leadership and how they react to things, what they do, what they value, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we haven't mentioned this, but she got promoted inside the company. So yeah. she's already familiar with what they value. And she probably expresses some of the values because yeah. she got promoted. Yeah. So she, when she's doing these interviews, she's going to find out, well, what is aligned with what we value and what mm -hmm. is not aligned with what we value. And that's going to surface right up front. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, it's not uncommon for... And, and what she said was midsize, you know, so mm -hmm. that's a midsize could be like, you know, 5,000 yeah. people. Um, but it's not uncommon to have a department go rogue. So oh, it sounds no, like, it sounds like she's going to get support. Um, and, you know, so it's just, you know, how she wants to clean this up. Yeah, I, I wish her luck. That, I agree. Uh, I, I think that I think that advice is good. I think the idea here is finding out who's who's toxic, who isn't relative yep. to this. I think that all helps. I think the who is this person? Flummox. I think what Flummox, what you got to do is listen to what Mary said, listen to what I said, and 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 sort of fold those together in when you talk to these people. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's exactly right. Because you because she's going to, have to work on both. So she talked about productivity, uh, basically talked about a lack of pos productivity and positivity. She's going to, have to work those two issues together. Yeah. Yeah, and find yeah. the connecting find the connecting point. It's going to be a big lift. I hopefully she's got a really nice big raise because this is going to take <laughs> well, it'll take a while. Yeah, it's like good, you said, big effort. Yeah. Changing big a behavior effort. takes effort. Try yeah. losing weight. Try losing weight. <laughs>
<laughs> but Flemings, don't be afraid to fire people. All right. So, Chris, are you ready for question number two? I am all ears. All right. This is from Can't Take the Complaining in Kansas City. Dear Cubicle Confidential, I am a mid-level manager in a government agency where I supervise about 30 employees. My agency has decided to downsize our physical office footprint and go quote unquote remote first, which means that we are consolidating our office space to a bare bones type of situation. Instead of all of us having a dedicated workspace, we are going to, to the hoteling model. So if and when people want to work in the office, they sign up for a workstation. Sounds great to me. Personally, I'm excited for the flexibility, but I am hitting all kinds of resistance from my staff. These are the same people that begged me for more telework opportunities prior to the pandemic. Hey, I'm only a middle manager. How can I get them to stop complaining and get on board with the change? Again, mm. signed from Can't Take the Complaining in Kansas City. Chris DeSantis, this is so common. Right. <laughs> people, people, people get what they ask for, and then they don't want it. So, all right. So, how? What would you say to Can't Take the Complaining about? the resistance to change that she's facing. Well, to be fair to the people, um, we're dealing with habits here. And also, they're not getting exactly what they asked for. They want some flexibility, but no, have, they have a workspace as well. You see what I'm yeah. saying? So they're being- They wanted their cake so they could eat it too. Well, they're, yeah. They're, so you're dealing with the habit, with, and it sounds like a badly thought out process. It's one thing to reduce office space and move to hoteling, but that doesn't account for how they will work remotely and and the hoteling going forward you see these are all processes that people have to accommodate and remember these are government this is government agency so my my theory is there's a lot of lifers here people that have been doing what they've been doing for a long period of time so i think you need to be a little more creative uh, and here's what I, my suggestion is really gather the troops and do a little brainstorming about how to best design for your collective futures because we have a present state and remember, we talked about a transitional state, and then there's a future state. So as I, I think I'd get everyone together, and as a large group, answer the question, uh, moving to this, what are we losing? What are we gaining? And what will we need in that new world? And then I think you should put all of those out there, put all of these issues out there in front of people, put them on flip charts. And then the next thing I would do, I'd create uh, small teams of five or six and answer the question. What are ways we can organize ourselves that will take into account what we want to keep, uh, what we want, what we can gain, and what we will need to do that? And then I would let the creative process bubble up. I would get people in small groups to say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to, each of group is going to present their best idea and we're going to vote. We're going to collect and we're going to vote on those. And then when we see the best ideas that we like, then I'd go one more step. And I'd say, nominate one person from each of these groups, and we're going to present, uh, basically, get them together. And then as a larger group later on, we're going to see what have you come up with as the design of our future. And so now my point here is that this will be imperfect, but it will be everyone participating about things they all agree on that are important. And so what you're going to get as a, co a consequence of that is you're going to get input from everyone who is influential. This I will call this a pulse committee who now has said this is our preliminary design. And then we just get iterative over time. Anyway, that's my sort of design so of the moment. 
I love so much of what you said, uh, and I agree with about 80% of it. 80's not um, bad. 80 is not bad. But no, I, and if this, if this was a private sector organization, I'd agree with 100% of it. Um, I see your point. Uh, yeah, but this is a government agency. So we have a middle manager that has to implement something that ha- she probably, he or she probably has very little influence over the design mm-hmm. of it. However, there's still a lot of value to what you said, a ton of value, an 80% value right. uh, to what you said. And what I really love about what you said is let's acknowledge what we are losing. Yes. You know, all too often, I think that change, all change, even good change brings a loss. We lose something when we create something new. The paradox of creation is destruction, right? You've Mm got to destroy something to create something new, even something beautiful. So I think I really like the fact that you are having the people themselves together in a group articulate what they're gaining and what they're losing and what they may need to be successful. I think that is brilliant. Um, so when I was thinking about this, um, I wanted to first of all say to Can't Take the Complaining that you have my deepest empathy. Um, change is hard. Uh, managing change is even harder. And I think the worst place to be when you're uh, in change is in middle management mm. because uh, you know, you've know you got your upper management that makes the change and then they move on and they dump it on the middle managers who oftentimes don't have enough experience or even maybe enough um, acceptance of the change to be really good at implementing it. And they also, and they get, they're getting pushed by the uppers, like make this change happen. Uh, and then they've got to deal with the staff level people who are like, we don't want to change. So it's a really, I think right. a very difficult. You're like, you know, like you're the three stooges. You're like, it's the, it's the one in the middle. It's like right. the Larry, right? <laughs> right. Um, you're, you're getting it from both sides. So I think that's really hard. So I was just thinking about this more in terms of just resistance um, for anybody who is in a middle manager for a change. It's just like, first of all, you've got to realize that resistance is normal, right? It's natural. No organization change in the world isn't going to hit resistance. So thinking about what it is, how you can navigate it, how you can embrace it, if you will. Um, and I really like the work of Rick Maher, uh, who talks about three levels of resistance that people hit. Mm-hmm. Um, the first level, of course, is the cognitive resistance, which is basically, I think this is a stupid idea. Uh, the emotional uh, resistance. The um, uh, This is like, I'm going to miss having a workstation. I'm sad for what right. I'm giving up, the loss, or I don't think I know how to be successful hoteling. And then you have like the deeply embedded resistance, which is not about the change at all. It's about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about the, the organization, the deeply embedded. So I think it would be very helpful for uh, this manager to really try to figure out what kind of resistance sh- she's facing. Uh, and then because each of those are going to need a different strategy. So if it's a cognitive uh, resistance, uh, data resistance, she needs to provide them more information. If it's an emotional one, they need support. And if it's a deeply embedded, she needs to build some relationships up. But I think she can do a lot of that by doing the the facilitation that you discussed. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, because uh, if you ask the question up. of what you are losing, yeah. those should surface. Those should surface. And then what can you do to help people keep a little bit of the old way with them? You know, the other thing that you could do um, many, many years ago, probably at least 10 years before the pandemic, one of our clients is a government agency that actually did something really similar to this. Mm-hmm. And what they they had in, I, I'm in DC, so they had like 10 offices around the DC area and they consolidated them all into one and they made people hotel because there was not enough space in the one office for everyone to to come into work on the same day. And they did what they called waves. 
And what they did is um, every office that was being consolidated or every office actually in the whole agency uh, did a practice run of hoteling for three I weeks. I think that's a very good idea. And then they and then they did a practice run hoteling for three weeks. Then they all did a debrief and they were able to change it. But that you know that came from the very top, so they were able to do that. But I think getting I think people comfortable, right? Right. No, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I would say it. one other thing though, um, because um, uh, and this goes back to closure. I yeah, I would say, uh, who is this person? Oh, can't complaining, can't take it. I would have a wake. Nice. I would yeah. have a wake. I would have an evening where I would get, or not, whatever. I would get everyone together and I would say, take all the things that we are losing and bury them and say, yeah. we're saying goodbye to what we were and get everyone in that room because this is the last time we'll see us all together this way, this yeah. way. And then come Monday, I would have mini celebrations each time there's a new gathering of different people in the hotel. I love that uh, because, you know, I think... I think one thing organizations forget is they, you know, the impact on the people. Like yeah. this is a loss. Like people, you know, your lifers worked a long time to get yeah. their own office in the corner. And, you know, they are losing it. So being able to acknowledge the death no, I agree. <laughs> or the destruction, right. I, I think that is very powerful. And it doesn't cost the organization anything no. to get some cookies and, you know, have uh, a little punch and uh, like everyone can give a toast to the way things used to be. I think that's very smart. I like that. Uh, yeah. Great. All, All right. right. All right. Good luck there in Kansas uh, City. Yeah. I can't. You know what? Eventually, people will adapt or not, but your life's going to be miserable. <laughs> it's true. Like, until you get everybody on board, it's going to be miserable. You know, I'm not a fan of hoteling, quite frankly. I just don't like it. It's too, it's, there's no, there's no feeling of, uh, uh, what's the word here? Ownership of a yeah. space. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, there's something weird about it. And for any listeners who don't know what hoteling is, it's basically when you don't have a de designated workspace in, in your office, you basically sign up for one or you plug in wherever. So you don't keep, you know, you might have personal things in a locker, but you don't have a dedicated space. I remember because uh, we had carols at college, you know, yeah. at the library. Yeah, the study carol, carols. Yeah. Study carols. Even there, even there, people would go to their carol. Even though that there were nine floors or 14 floors of library, they would always go to, well, somebody's in my carol. Yeah. And I'm we thinking, are creatures of habit, aren't we? Yes. And that's why the hoteling thing always uh, annoyed me because it, it doesn't allow for her, our habitual nature. Yeah, I um, you know, I was an English major in college, so I rarely went to the library because I could read my books in my dorm room. And in my senior year, a friend of mine wrote me a map to the library. Here, Mary, here's how you get to the library. <laughs> it's like I swear I was in there like maybe three times, because um, you know you don't need to go there to read an English book. If you have a workplace question, hey people, we're here to help. Email us to info at cubicleconfidential.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, all right, we got time for one more quick okay, question. Ready? This is from Copeless. <laughs> That's so clever. Copeless. Copeless in Cleveland. Dear Chris and Mary, do you have any advice for dealing with constant, and I mean constant change at work? It feels like every day my company is issuing a new directive, a new policy, a new something or other that disrupts our work life. I understand that we are in an unprecedented time of upheaval and uncertainty, but I just need something stable to hold on to. I'm not a snowflake, but I feel like I'm melting underneath the pressure of all these changes. Any advice to help me and my colleagues cope? From Copeless in Cleveland. 
Well, I'm going to give this over to you, Mary, because I did some homework on this topic because you know how you sort of go through some of your books and then I was going through the internet and say, okay, what, what's the short approach to handling this or what, what can I do that's pithy? And after reading a bit about it, I, I, <laughs> I know this sounds like a pitch, but I went to Mary's uh, website and Mary, and because it, it popped up and her, she has this five points of what to do in the exact situation. So I thought, wow, okay, I'll let her handle that. And no, uh, I, you know, because now I don't know what five points. Oh I'm always gosh, talking so about good. this stuff. I can't remember what I so wrote good. on the website. Uh, okay, yeah, go accept ahead. The, accept that change is tough and it yeah. won't happen overnight. Number yeah. two, find love out it. why the change has happened. Love. I, I love this one. Don't be a change victim. I thought that was number yeah. three. That was three. And then four, focus on what you can control and embrace a change as a new beginning. That was hopeful. And then five, uh, the leaders in implementing change communicate, uh, clearly communicate not only the reason for the change occurring, but also their specific roles and responsibilities. Boom, 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 boom. I thought that was really good. Bam, 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 yeah. bam. And you, and you see Liar, Liar, Pets, Fire from Question from an early episode with a guy, someone plagiarized somebody. You see how Chris credited me before he plagiarized me? Well, that was well done. <laughs> I, I almost did because I, no, I did. I was going to do that. But my, I had some other thing to say, but it wasn't, it, I thought this really capsulized yeah. it. Uh, I just think if you go to your boss and find out what their priorities are, their yeah. priorities are your priorities. Yeah. So focus on those in the right order uh, and, and not... No, by the way, another point, and we alluded to this in the other question is, not all changes have legs. So sometimes mm -hmm. inaction is sufficient. Another point is, who's champion the changes? And if yeah. it's not a player or there's no champion, then this is a political game. And so I would say, go with what is most favorable to the, the most visible of the champions and in, in, that is light, you know, basically that you can align with because everyone's aligning with that. Yeah, so, I love that. Those anyway, are I'll let great, Mary Chris. take this over. Um, I, I would just say very similar things to my five points you said. Exactly. One is like, you know, I, I, want, I want you and your colleagues to acknowledge that change is hard and stressful, normalize it. So that's a really important thing. And, you know, there's some great models for transition. There's this, uh, Scott and Jaffe, there's the bridges. So, so understand that you are normal if you are stressed. You are normal if you are anxious. It takes people time to transition through changes. So acknowledge that. Um, be careful about who you are going to vent to. A good venting feels good, but vent judiciously. Uh, because if you vent to the wrong people, you're going to get labeled as a change resistor or not a team player. So make sure you keep some venting, but vent judiciously. And the, on the other side of that coin, uh, try to surround yourself with people who are supportive and positive. You know, emotions are contagious. So if you're around a bunch of colleagues, they're like, wah, 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 this sucks, this sucks. Guess what? You're going to pick up on the, this sucks. So either be the, co the colleague that's focusing on the positive or surround yourself with people who are focusing on the positive. Um, take care of yourself. Change is hard. Change is stressful. The goal here is to become a career victor, to become resilient. And that's going to take rest. It's going to take like taking good care of your physical and your mental self. Um, 
Two more ideas, and this is really about resiliency, is you want to name your emotions. You got to name them to tame them. So really take some time and think about what are you feeling? What are you worried about? What are your concerns? If you need information or support, go ask for it. And then, you know, as Chris said earlier, focus on what's in your control, but also focus on the positive. Like find something every day that's working, that works well, that's not changing, that's going to be a benefit. Like just try to focus more on positive things. They say those who study resiliency say that that's the number one most important thing people can do or pe- that people do who are resilient is they're able to focus on the positive. I think those are great answers. I'm very positive about what you've said as being very good. Chris DeSantis, you are always one of the most positive people I know, which is one of the reasons why I love you. People, just so you know, I might come to Chris and say, oh my gosh, I haven't done this. I'm so behind on this, or this isn't going to work. And Chris is always like, no problem. Let's make it work. He's so positive. And so that's, I really appreciate that about you. Thank you for that. But I don't know how it's always positive. Well, at least you put a positive face on things. Yeah, that's good. uh, And speaking of positive, we're positive going too long today. So let us go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Thank you all for joining us uh, for Changes in the Air. Thank you to Jack Edinger, our amazing overworked underpaid producer. If you have a workplace question, a cubicle dilemma, please let us know. No question is too large. No question is too small. And there are tons of ways to reach us. You could email us to info at cubicleconfidential.com. Tweet us at cubicleconfide. Or connect with us on LinkedIn, Cubicle Confidential, Chris DeSantis, Mary Abijay. We are easy to find. Um, And by the way, if you're enjoying the show, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends to tune in. Uh, So uh, until we see you again, we want you to work hard, be kind, stay positive. And if you can't, call us. (laughs) All right. See you next time.